This is the Interim Leader podcast brought to you by Hodges Interim, the UK's largest provider of interim management services. I'm Paul Wright. I head up the technology practice here at, at Hodges Interim and goes almost without saying that COVID-19 has caused global disruption. It's driven the rapid pivot to remote digital working and the acceleration of digital business models. It's also driven a huge amount of change in the technology and telecoms providers that underpin the digital world across the fiber, data infrastructure, and data carrier space, so that we've all needed to respond very rapidly to the situation. One of the key lessons we've learned is that the organizations who have agile leaders who can drive very rapidly to these digital models or accelerate the de development of existing digital models have outperformed in this challenging period. But as we start to rebuild and look over the horizon beyond COVID-19, it's becoming clearer that dynamic digital transformation management will be critical to, to firms becoming and or maintaining their position as market leaders. And here, the dynamic between the chief executive and the chief transformation officer could be the linchpin to successful delivery and the creation of value for all shareholders. To discuss this topic today, I'm joined by Vanessa Slowey and Sean Taylor. Vanessa has a wealth of experience in technology and telecoms across the Asia, Pacific, EMEA, and Latin America regions as a non-executive director and former CEO of a telecoms quad play. To give you some idea of scale, this is a $2 billion business that operated across 31 countries. She was tasked with delivering a $250 million transformation in a very, very short time scale. We're also joined by Sean Taylor, who's a seasoned chief transformation officer, who's delivered complex global transformations in multiple technology and telecoms organizations. And he was the chief transformationer at the same quad play working with, with Vanessa. Welcome to you both. It's, it's ironic that um, you're, you're sat in different countries and I'm sat here in the UK and the weather outside here is is really quite stormy and, and very wet. Only two weeks ago, we were pretty battered by Storm Alex, but you two had to deliver, you know, this extraordinary amount of change through multiple hurricanes, earthquakes, and even a cholera outbreak, if I, if, if I remember our comments correctly. Yes, that's right, Paul. Down in the Pacific region and the Caribbean, it is like dodging, you know, hurricanes. At the, but this season is particularly busy. There's another one forming as we speak out there. So yes, we worked um, and lived in in environments that were were hit by a lot of natural disasters, and you had to deal with that. So crisis management was part of your day-to-day -day work. Before we dive in to talk about this radical digital transformation that you guys drove, perhaps we can take it just a brief step back. You know, digital transformation is a buzzword that has been used by many, but it comes with a bit of ambiguity as it means different things to different people. Can you explain to our listeners of what do you understand digital transformation to be? To me, it's about actually how we, we meet the demands of our customers. How do we shape our business to be a business that outperforms the customer's expectation, outperforms our competition? We do this by re-engineering and re-challenging ourselves continuously around our platforms, our systems, and challenging that status quo to become a digitally native business and to be able to make sure that we're able to be agile and lean as possible in all our customer touch points. And I say your perspective as CEO would be very interesting to hear as well. Yeah, I, you know, I think COVID ironically has um, fast-tracked digital transformation for a lot of companies. I think it was McKinsey said that, you know, we've come five years in two short months at the start of this outbreak. I mean, COVID has totally upended everyone's lives around the globe. There's no one that hasn't been hit by this. And we see you know, e-commerce platforms and companies pivoting to make sure they have that e-commerce platforms as actually buyer's behavior and consumer usage has completely changed. And people now preferring to work in a home environment, live in a home environment and make decisions, their biggest purchasing decisions from the comfort of their own couch. So I've seen companies really pivot 
building e-commerce platforms in as quickly as six to eight weeks. I think it's necessary for them to continue to survive. So that transformation of what is necessary, what can we turn digital, COVID has really accelerated that thought process. So it's been good for digital transformation. Yes, I agree. We, we've seen it across, right across the technology and telco landscape that effectively digital, anything that's data-led or, or cloud-led has really need to pivot very fast. When my 83-year-old mother asks for a Zoom call, I know digital <laughs> transformation has happened. It's, it's, here, it's here to stay, that's for sure, yes. I, I think sure. one thing that COVID has, has enabled us to do is to get comfortable with experimenting and get comfortable with failing fast and actually rebuilding. Before, we were very conservative in our approach to things because we've had to do things very quickly because of the COVID crisis. We've become more uh, used to innovation on the fly and failing fast and actually recovering from that and improving, which is a great, great thing to come out of this. Yes, I agree. But delivering transformation is, is hard. We know this, right? There's a very large yes. number of projects that, that have failed. And you know, embedding sustained culture changes is, is difficult. What's your view of uh, of this? Is you know, what, what's key to successful transformation? Is there a formula for a success? Is there a playbook that you bring? Yeah, I think there is. And before you start your transformation, you've got to sit down and outline those steps. A lot of transformations fail for various reasons. I mean, I probably have six pillars I would advise any company to follow. The first being, you know, to understand the transformation is painful. It is going to be painful. And warning all your stakeholders of that is sometimes half the battle to get the culture right, to get the thought process right. But the first thing I would uh, advise any company to do is get your vision easily comprehensible and a clear statement of the new direction the company is going in. And this must be clearly articulated as quickly as possible at the beginning of the process to all stakeholders, from your cleaning lady to the chairman of the company. And it needs that support from all those people to successful. There's no point in, you know, one department pulling against you. You've got to go, this is where we're going and explain why we're going there. The second part that kind of ties very, very closely to the vision is that you must communicate frequently and regularly, consistently with all stakeholders of where you are in the process, how it's going. If something hasn't worked, don't be afraid that it hasn't worked. Urgency and speed is the third pillar, very important. Time is the enemy of transformation. So at the beginning, you kind of get those quick wins. So you really have to get them. It gives the transformation momentum because it's like a freight train coming through. We, some myself and Sean used to joke about it. it's like doing open heart surgery while driving a Ferrari. The next thing, I suppose, it would be the transformation team itself. Again, a critical part of it, you must appoint a transformation team and someone to head a transformation. In my case, Sean came in. He was absolutely superb. If you can find that, that person from within, doesn't matter from what department, just you need somebody that does not say no, someone that pushes boundaries. And then you, you, you know, bring that team around them. Obviously, every department must be, must be presented. The executive team must be part of that transformation team to buy in. And they, in turn, then must have subgroups of people working within their department or area working on transformation. The next pillar, the fifth pillar, is value creation. Every single person in the organization must deliver value. They must be challenged. Everyone's going to be challenged. And what was very interesting about um, our transformation was that some of the ideas came from people that we didn't expect. We gave everybody in the organization a voice, and it's important to have that open door policy and allow that clear, that new thinking to come into the organization. And importantly, Versa, we actually celebrated when people did actually come up with ideas. So when people from a low down in the organization, we actually promoted their idea and actually gave visibility to it to, to start stimulating that yeah. idea.
we celebrated them and, and we called them out in our communications of people that came up with phenomenal ideas. It actually some of the best ideas came from, you know, the water cooler conversations where it's actually positive gossip of positive ideas of what people can do. And therefore, everyone kind of feels that they, they have a say in this, that they are being listened to. They have a voice. Of course, agility, you know, being consistency and flawless execution is absolutely important. But don't get too excited because there is no one silver bullet in a transformation. It's many silver bullets. The momentum you build and making sure that you execute on them, that they don't sit there for weeks and months waiting for someone to close it off. Every action has an owner and then you must execute on that. Interesting. Sean? Perspective as a CTO? Yeah, just to, to, to build on that, I think the, the first piece around culture is so key. You need to explain to people why their lives are being turned upside down. You need to personalize the messaging at all levels of the organization. You need to make people understand what the rationale for the change is, how it impacts them. The only question people are interested in is what's in it for me, what's changing for me? And you need to be able to articulate that very clearly and be consistent with that and take that message through. The innovation and the value creation is critical. You need to be able to change the organization and pivot the organization into the new direction. You need to reinvent the operating model. You need to be able to redefine the performance metrics. You need to be able to understand the structural KPIs that move you so you can control them and actually monitor them and see you are getting value as you're moving through the transformation. We were doing this in a very fast paced 12 month period where we had to protect our EBITDA, we had to protect our operating margins, make sure our network performance, increase our customer um, and net presenter score, um, while still also doing an open heart surgery to the business. You can only do that by actually making sure that the organizational health is maintained, people are respected, and you're very careful about how you execute your operating model change. It's also very interesting. You, you mentioned uh, pillars two and three being you know, the, the communications piece and urgency and speed. I guess it goes back to the point we were saying about agile leadership, right? What we've seen across the technology and telco landscape is leaders who've been able to craft communications and the cadence of those communications has really rapidly increased. So has the frequency. People who can lean in, respond in an agile fashion and, and have, have outperformed. Some have even taken market share. There's one business I, I work with who... Um, is growing 40% quarter on quarter right through COVID. So right. it can be done. It can. And you're, you're right. It's, it's about agility. It's about leaning in. It's about a different thinking. A great photo I read recently was of Singapore Airlines. The airline industry has been completely in such a crisis over, over COVID. But Singapore Airlines have thought of it quite a clever way of, of getting revenue in. So they're offering people the opportunity to spend $370 for a ticket to have dinner on board their Airbus A380. The plane doesn't take off. You just come in, you can sit down. I think you pay more if you want to be in a first class seat, get to watch a movie. It's for three hours. Again, just mm. a different way of thinking of going, how do we need to get revenue? Even if we're just keeping alive and floating, it's just incredible how people start to think outside the box. Yes, interesting. I, I read the report as well. Adjacent revenue streams, and actually, they're really crucial. And Vanessa and I saw this as within the telco sector, where you've got the, the voice revenues declining, and you were having to, to look at um, cable content, so that whole financial services piece, retail. You, know, you have to make sure you're exploiting all of your adjacency and actually making sure that you're bringing forward new ideas for adjacency in order to maintain those revenue streams. And in, in a period of COVID, adjacency revenue streams are, are, are critical. You need to be able to 
to pivot and make sure that you're picking up every piece of revenue you can when your main uh, revenue sources are drying up. Vesey, you mentioned that building the transformation team and selecting a chief transformation officer is, is a critical success factor. Are there key skills and attributes you look for in, in a transformation team and a transformation leader? Absolutely. You need to find disruptors, people that generally challenge you. A human nature, we probably don't like those people, but we need them. In a transformation, you need somebody that's going to challenge you, question you, and the team must be made of people that they're more comfortable in that challenging role, challenges the status quo. That is absolutely key for a transformation. Sean, any advice you'd share in that respect? Yeah, I mean, it's what I call, and I think McKinsey called it the same thing, which is the two-in-the-box principle. The transformation officer is about the transformation journey and shaping the future and executing the, the strategy of the chief executive. While the chief executive is on the front line, is the PR phase for the transformation and making sure from a cultural and change perspective, the business is being conditioned for it, but still maintaining the run aspects of the business. And part of my job was to make sure that Vanessa's day had 95% of capacity for operational and you know the 5% that she needed to focus on for transformation was short, sharp and crisp and we know where we were going. Uh, let's look at that uh, dynamic, you know, the, the two in the box principle that you talk about. In your experience, why is this symbiotic relationship between the CEO and the CTO so important? It's about the vision. So the, the, the transformation officer is about delivering the vision and helping shape that vision and actually making sure that there's continuous improvement around it and there's the ideas engine is humming the execution of transformation is happening and the rhythm and tempo is there, the governance processes are in place, the structural KPIs are being met, etc. Whereas the chief executive role is, is actually about shaping and defining what the transformation should look like and then holding the chief transformation officer to account for execution and delivery while maintaining that tension within the exec group for run. So, you know, when Vanessa and I turned up for our executive meetings, you know, as a member of her uh, ELT, I was driving very hard and pushing very hard on the transformation. And Vanessa was managing that tempo between, well, operational reality, Sean, is A, B, and C, but actually, you know, we need to do D, E, and F in order to drive the transformational change and maintain operational direction. Vanessa, do you agree? I do. I think actually that there's always going to be a tension with the transformation officer and the executive team. It, it should be that way. Is, is this the time when we need to mention your fantastic rows that you've... <laughs> yes, yes. I think they were great. Sean and I had some absolutely fabulous rows and we had to have rows. And we were both very passionate about what we were doing. And Sean's job was to bring ideas to the table. And sometimes I had to say, nuke them and go, we can't do that because it was actually long-term hurt the business. You know, we'd have these rows and then we'd leave the meeting and we'd go, hey, how are you allowed to have a coffee? Yeah, let's have coffee. And it was like nothing had ever happened. And I think you have to be that little bit bipolar in this stage of a transformation of going, everything that happens in that room is for the better of the company. So it's good to get everyone's views. What you don't want is a team of people just saying yes or just staying muted because they think, well, I don't want to upset people. You've got to upset people in transformation. So I do, as painful as it is, I do encourage it. You have to be direct and drive change, but you need to understand that the issue, is, the issue is the issue, not to personalise it. You can you can disagree about a point, but that doesn't mean you know it breaks a relationship. It, you disagree with a point, and then you move on to the next one. It's about maintaining that professionalism and and not resisting that temptation to internalise and personalise 
because someone's rejected something. As a chief transformation officer, I've become very thick-skinned to people saying no, and I just move on to the next challenge. We've looked at the success factors, but what are your views about you know, the risks and pitfalls in transformation, perhaps advice in how you would avoid these? I think one of the, the biggest challenges is that people don't spot failure quick enough. Projects go out of kilter. The problem is that the executive team is often too far away from them, and when they, the information finally flows up to them, it's too difficult to recover, and it's almost a, a hard reset. It's actually how you maintain that governance and oversight I'm pretty nosy. I always put my nose into things and go and kick the tires on things very regularly. The only downside to me of the new working from home relationship is it denies me the opportunity of walking into a, into a project meeting unannounced or you know, going to stand by someone's desk and actually having an informal conversation with them. That's how I used to find out if there was a problem and how I needed to go and remediate something or just help people find some better direction and better traction. That comment about the lack of personal contact with you know, video. Any advice on anything you would or are doing differently to, to get into the detail you need to find out and see the whites of people's eyes, if you like? Keep asking why, and you know, it's why I call active listening. So engage a conversation with people. and Interesting. Great. Carry on. Yep. What next? And trying to get them to talk themselves out and hearing everything they have to say. Because if you don't do that, they're framing a conversation around what you want to hear. So you need to make sure that you get the complete data dump off them and then dissect, dissect that and go through it and find out what the issues are. I'll just come in there. I think that today with you know people working from home, the communication couldn't be more vital. This is a time for all leaders to show empathy and be authentic, calling someone to see how they are, how their family are. And from that, you build a relationship again, that trust and credibility. That's how they will learn to be able to communicate with you as well. Very, very open fashion. We're no longer in our offices and we are, we're all at home. So over communicate and do that. Be authentic. Yeah, we truly need to learn empathy. We all mm. believe we have empathy, but when you do a, a self-audit of it, we're all lack empathy and self-awareness. It's really important we demonstrate both as we move forward through this crisis and actually working from home and working remotely becomes the new norm. Although for Vanessa and I, it's not that difficult because we were so used to people being in 31 different markets. So working remotely and teleconferencing and everything else is, for people like Vanessa and I, is actually just an extension of what we did before. Mm-hmm. Just tracking back a little bit to our, our original question, is, is there anything else you'd add in terms of some of these key risks and, and is there anything else? Uh, yeah, the huge pit, pitfall I've seen is that you take consultants on the beginning. Consultants are great at starting something, but you need to close it. So you, you're going to bring somebody from outside and bring them for a specific period of time with really clear deliverables. And then once you have that plan outlined, you just need to go and do it with your team, with your transformation team. Own it, live it, breathe it. And those six things I mentioned, if you, again, the communication, the vision, the, the agility, the urgency and speed, consistency of initiatives coming coming through the transformation, execution of them, making sure everyone creates value and that you have that transformation team sitting on top, making sure it gets done. And just on to Vanessa's point about the consulting piece, transformation budgets are always below the line. They, they come out of the exceptional budget, but they're not free money. And the trouble is a lot of transformation budgets get blown at the beginning. People spend a disproportionate amount of, of their transformation budget at the initiation stage and design stage and actually have very little left over for execution. 
it's quite easy to burn through what seems like a big pot of money on big ticket consulting firms. Couldn't agree more. Let's think about the future. We've hinted at this already and I've perhaps spoken a little about this, but how important do you think uh, digital transformation will be in the coming months and, and why do you think that is? I think you, you do or die in this world we find ourselves in. You need to do a digital transformation as fast as you can. You need to pivot. If you're selling to consumers, you got to make sure you've got a really good e-commerce platform. Customers through COVID are becoming more loyal to brands that are authentic, that are real and that they can communicate with. So, I mean, in essence, actually, we see digital marketeers actually becoming central to the whole organization, more important than they ever were, of bringing everybody in the organization together and then communicating that brand message out through all the different channels. I think we're a long way off seeing anything go back to the way business was done. So I would say do it faster, do it quickly, get your team around if you want to survive. I, I completely concur with that. The, the only wrap I'd add on to that is we've really got to be thinking carefully about our cyber posture, cybersecurity, data loss protection. The, the two issues we have with being pure native, digitally native is that we, we expose ourselves to a greater risk of cyber attack. And also the fact that we, we don't know what our people are doing with our data remotely. So we've got to be very careful around data loss protection and cyber security and improve those in parallel with our going digitally native. And then on top of that, we've got to have to do that in a backdrop of working capital calls, cost reduction calls, operating change. So you know, the real, the real challenge of 2021 is actually going to be how we do digital how we tie down cyber and dead loss protection in, a, in the backdrop of conserving cash, reducing our operating footprint, trying to work out actually how we improve free cash flow. 2021 is going to be a very challenging landscape. I have to agree. I, I read a report in the Information Age and they were saying that 70% of companies in the UK were at least maintaining or increasing their digital transformation budget. The only surprise about that stat for me was that it was only 7%, if I'm honest. But just, just thinking as, as we, we come to an end, are there two or three key things that you'd add or you'd highlight as key takeaways for our, for our audience that they should take away as they go into this new digitally native world? For me, it's, it's culture and communication. Transformations fail when the culture turns against them. So you need to make sure that you, you're changing the culture of your organization as you're executing your transformation. And you do that by understanding your organizational health. As we move towards pure digital, we need to make sure our cyber protections are robust and do not present as issues. This week, there was a local council again who got hit by a, a significant attack. And then I think we've also got to look at actually how we adjust our operating model and be very careful with our people because our footprint is going to change in 2021. My closing comments would be, I think if you haven't taken that giant step, you're going to need to take that giant step and do a transformation to stay alive and stay relevant. But the result will be a rebirth of your organisation with the ability to evolve and prosper and weather this turbulent storm that we're going through. Thank you very much to you both, uh, Vanessa and Sean, for taking the time to speak with me today about your experiences, for sharing your insights on how to drive digital transformation successfully. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Interim Leader. If you have enjoyed the podcast, please like, subscribe and follow for more insights from our network of consultants, clients and interim managers.